and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today, it's a fun day for me. I get to interview someone that I used to work with and have a lot of laughs with, and he happens to be an incredible marketer, luxury expert, and oh my God, his pedigree is so amazing. He was the former CMO of Sotheby's International Realty, the current CMO of the Princess Grace Foundation, Kevin Thompson. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. It's a, it's really such a pleasure, and I'm so excited. And that very high praise, indeed. But thank you so much. I enjoyed working with you um, so much. So I'm glad we got to reconnect here. Oh my God, this is so much fun. We were just uh, reminiscing right before we started recording, and there's a lot to catch up on. I know, and uh, I'd rather just do it on 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 the podcast. So this is good. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. So, before we even jump into the questions, I was um, one. Wondering if you can share with the listeners just a little bit about your background. It's incredibly vast. You had a wonderful career in fashion and, and luxury brands and, uh, and real estate and a culmination of all of that. So can yeah. you give, uh, give us a brief background on your career? Sure, sure. So I'll, uh, yeah, I'll keep it brief. It's been, it's been a curious journey. So I, I'm Canadian originally. I came to New York City uh, as part of an initiative to work for the New York City Board of Ed. So I, I always thought I would be a high school teacher. That's what I thought when I was doing my master's in, in Canada. And I landed in New York City and I had this, I was working in education, but I also had this idea to, to start a business of my own. And I had worked in, in retail, I had worked in fashion, you know, that's how I paid my way through school. And so I took a few years and I worked on a business plan and I, I launched my own little menswear boutique in Soho. And, you know, it was relatively short lived, but I learned an enormous amount and it actually spun into an opportunity to go and work for Gucci. And um, so I, I moved up over uh, the next few years in that organization and I came to manage the ready to wear collections and was also in charge of their um, uh, corporate training, employee training um, across the store network. And I left Gucci to work for Montclair, another uh, wonderful luxury brand uh, out of France and Italy. Um, I, was, uh, I moved from there to Barney's New York where I was the head of customer experience and development, which was, and it was really all about brand there, brand story. I, an iconic, Barney's was an iconic, iconic luxury brand. It breaks my heart that it's no longer with us. I know. Um, it, uh, it's such a part of New York, you know, yes. and, and, York, you know such a part of that. Yeah, and we'll continue to be, I mean, this, the Barney's New York stories will live on for a very long time. It was a remarkable place to, to be and incredible people to work with. Yeah. Um, and then I made a little change. I went from luxury retail to, <laughs> uh, to work for Simon Property Group. And I was asked to join that organization at a time when they were trying to figure out brand identity and brand story. And I managed a luxury portfolio there. Um, and uh, from there, I, I was recruited by Sotheby's International Realty. And so I joined... Sotheby's and was the CMO there over the last, well, for about three and a half years. I left at the, at the very beginning, January 1st of this year, officially. So, And I, oh, and I joined the Princess Grace Foundation, which is a, another odd turn, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it makes sense. So I can't, I can't reveal everything that I'm doing for the Princess Grace Foundation because there is a, a, a phenomenal launch that is fast approaching. Wow. Um, but suffice it to say, I was, I was tapped to really steer the, brand, the launch of a consumer-facing luxury brand that is uh, a part of that organization and a wonderful organization that has been around 
for, for almost 40 years since Princess Grace uh, passed away, um, really helping uh, emerging art, uh, emerging talent in, in theater, dance and film. And they've done an incredible job giving away millions of dollars in grants to, to now prominent uh, people in those, in those communities. And it's a pleasure to be a part of an organization with such integrity. My God, I'm already tired, and I knew all of this. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a, it's a weird trip, right? I, I, I mean, I've said to people before, it's not, it has not been linear at all. No, which I, it's, it's fine, you know. But I think underneath it all, the core principles have always been the same. It's always been about storytelling and branding and identity and that sort of brand psychology and and you know the psycho the psychographics around that and behavioral uh, characteristics and demographics of consumers. So. And, you know, and I want to stick to a lot of that idea sure. of branding, right? Because, you know, this, you, you spent a lot of your time in, in real estate as well. But when you came in, as you just t uh, told us, you came in from a fashion and luxury background across mm -hmm. amazing brands, right? Yeah. And so you came in and you literally changed the narrative of Sotheby's International Realty and where we worked together. And so, you know, it, it, you really modernized that brand. You brought it to another, really another generation that really mm -hmm. looked at it in a different way. Mm -hmm. How did you start the process to elevate that conversation with the consumer? Yeah. So I th thank you. I mean, that was, that was the challenge, right? That Sotheby's was, you know, this, this centuries-old brand, 275 yeah. years old through the, the association with the auction house, really had incredible legacy, um, was part of, you know, the, the luxury tradition going back for, for hundreds of years. But for emerging affluent consumers, it was relatively um, not unknown, I think poorly understood. And so the opportunity that I saw was to take a brand that had this incredible legacy, much like, you know, the similarities were to, the parallels were to Gucci, you know, an almost 100-year-old brand, Barney's a 90-year-old brand, these brands that had been around for decades that were still connecting in very relevant and meaningful ways with new consumers. And there was an opportunity for Sotheby's International Realty and the, the you know, the tens of thousands of agents around the world to, to capitalize on that, to take this sort of incredible foundation and, and reimagine it for a new consumer and a consumer that is the emerging affluent consumer, you know, millennials, Gen Z, they want something very different from brands across the spectrum, whether you're selling handbags, shoes, homes, fine jewelry, it doesn't matter. The, the, the consumer interaction at the luxury level, the behavior has, is, has changed for, for those consumers. And so that means the, 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 approach of the brand must change um, if they want to remain relevant. So that was, that was the opportunity I saw. And then, so how did we get started? We, we did a lot of research, a lot of research. I think that is essential. You have to do that. You have to look at the data. You have to go and speak to consumers and ask them what they want from your brand. And then you can make informed decisions about how to move forward. You know, I love that. And you really brought in, you know, things like BCG and the Boston yeah. Consulting Group to sort of mm -hmm. come in and, and say, you know, how do, what, 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 how do people perceive us? Because sometimes we didn't know how we were mm -hmm. perceived. And I think that was a very interesting exercise to look at that as uh, from a consumer point of view, which will actually bring me to my next question. So in talking about 
let's just say an agent, right? An agent always wants to brand themselves. And <laughs> I think that we've all seen examples of people who do it, you know, well, and some that do it incredibly not so well. Yeah, and, sure. <laughs> sure. And we would sort of get, you know, we would get videos and, 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 and postcards of things. And you're like, oh my God, what, were you, what was this person thinking? So yeah. <laughs> what do you think would be the guidelines? And I know this is a very general question, um, but guidelines, as to how somebody would approach this. And I think you probably touched on it a little bit already, like go see how other people think about you. Um, But how do you think one brands themselves correctly? So, okay. So, and I think this is, this is, this was a fascinating challenge when, when we were at Sotheby's. It, it can, I think it continues to be for, again, for luxury brands sort of across the spectrum, but it's particularly interesting in the real estate space when you work with independent contractors and people who are you know, affiliated companies, uh, independent owners and operators of their own companies. And so there is this sense of, and I get it, there's this sense of, well, I need to carve out my own identity. I need my own brand. I need my own presence in, in, the, in the community that I'm in or in my sphere of influence. I want to carve out something that is unique. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, I always, you know, I always encouraged agents to do that. The caveat was just use what the brand is doing for you first, right? They're, the brand, these powerful brands, you know, your brand, our shared brand, the brands I worked for in the past, they, they're, they're constantly creating assets and tools and the equipment to help you function more effectively as a real estate agent. And so when you don't take advantage of those, what you end up doing at the end of the day, to be frank, is wasting your money. You end up recreating on your own when you don't necessarily need to. And so there's this, there's this balance. I, I think the very best agents, the very best agents that I saw, regardless of the brand that they worked for, the very best that I saw in the industry, really understood how to use Every, how to take everything they needed from the brand and then layer their own expertise and their own identity or merge their own expertise and their own identity with that. And then you go to market with the best of both worlds. Because at the end of the day, the consumer wants, they want something different now from real estate agents than they used to, right? It used to be that the real estate, the agent had all the power. That sure. the, the, you know, the client would reach out and say, I'm thinking about buying a home. And the agent would check their database and say, I found 10 homes that meet your criteria. You're going to buy one of them. Let's go and take a look. And they literally, you know, literally held the keys. They had the keys to those homes. It doesn't work that way anymore. I can take virtual tours. I can go on a home tour. Uh, you know, I can look at a home in the Middle East right now if I want to. And I can put a bid on it. I can, I can buy it online if I want to. And so... There, there, I think the fear of that disintermediation put a panic <laughs> into some agents' hearts. They, they were scared that, you know, I, they, they saw the world, this, this consumer demand shifting. And so some of them pushed more, more into carving out their own identity. And I think what that did was perhaps not necessarily address what the clients actually wanted. So what we found in the research with Boston Consulting Group was that modern consumers, particularly emerging affluent millennial consumers, and we're emerging, emerging affluent consumers because there are Gen Z emerging affluents now. Um, what they want is the real estate agent to function more like a financial advisor, someone to work with them, to advise and to guide and to offer feedback and to consult on 
the properties that they're already looking at anyway, because they're already on Zillow or Realtor.com or wherever it is that they're looking at homes. And as the agent, you're not in control of that anymore. So what can you be in control of? And, and that, was, that was the question I wanted answered through the research. We found out what you could meet, where you could meet consumers or where they should meet consumers is where consumers want them to be. And it's that role of, of, of voice of authority and, and professional advisor. You know, and I think that that's so wise because you're right. We live in a world where there's so much information and yeah. it's an equal playing field. Everyone has the same information. And mm -hmm. then at that point, you have to have full transparency. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody's coming in, what they want are the nuances. They want that advisor, as you so wisely say. It's the idea that I know pretty much what I want, but I want that person who knows that market better than I, if you were buying that house in the Middle East, you wanted that person that lives in Dubai. Should I buy in Dubai Hills or should I buy in Palm Jumeirah? What's the difference? Yes. What's the lifestyle? Yeah. I can't get that online. That's yeah. where the expertise comes in and that's where the advisor comes in. So you're right. The role of the real estate agent has changed to that. So they need yes. to know the information that the consumer knows, but then they need to be the local expert at the yeah. same time. Yeah, I, I think I think that's exactly it. They, I, you know, I'm going to want someone to say, you know what, I know this home, I know the neighborhood it's in. Here's the here are the things you need to know. Here's why I think maybe it's either right for you or not right for you. And if it's not, I have alternatives ready. So I think there is this. Yeah, that I think you, you the consumers really want a, and this advisor partner to 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 walk with them through the transaction and it's less about the agent dictating how this is going to play out for you know my example earlier them saying i found 10 homes you don't have it you know you're not going to find any other homes outside of what i've selected for you and this is what this is how we're going to proceed it just doesn't work that way it's much more of a collaborative relationship than it used to be and i think the agents that the, the agents certainly that we saw um um at Sotheby's that were most successful really understood that, that they were doing this with their, their, the client as partner and collaborator in, and, um, and they saw the biggest wins. And, and at the same time, you know, going back to your previous question, they, they used what the brand had created that worked best for them and, what, and the, the, that local expertise, the local knowledge base, the local data, that's where they, that's where they invested. That's right. where they put their resources. So, you know, you, you had a really interesting lens, not only through Sotheby's, but also through the Simon Property Group and mm. um, how you would sort of look at this from a different perspective, right? Because you dealt with both commercial real estate agents and residential real estate agents. And so if you were giving three pieces of advice for someone entering the business today, what would that be? Okay, so, so I would say... <laughs> Um, do your homework, um, you know, understand and, and, and to, because, and you, you need to understand the behavior that's out there. You need to understand the consumers and what they want, because your, your choices need to be informed if you're going to be successful. Right. So I think do your homework, understand what it is, what are the, what are the challenges that you can possibly address as a professional entering this business? And then make an informed choice. And the second piece, I would say, once you have done your homework, you've done your research, um, choose just a few of those things to really excel at. Be an expert at two or three of those things. 
knocking it out of the park on two or three things will gain you more notoriety, more word of mouth, you know, more referrals, all of those things than being a really awesome sort of general purpose real estate agent who does everything pretty well. There's nothing wrong with that, yeah. but it's not, it's, you, you're, you're never going to get the highest highs as a result. I think if you can do a few things incredibly well, do those things. I, that, you know, that's been my philosophy myself. Um, I've, I, I've always thought I would rather knock two or three things out of the park than do 10 things in a mediocre way because you just don't have the time to do that many things amazingly well. So I would say do your homework, make informed decisions. Um, the third piece of advice I would, I would give is don't, um, don't let ego get in your way. <laughs> and I, I laugh a little bit because, you know, I came, I came from luxury fashion and I, when I came to real estate, I thought, well, you know, I've, I've been, I've worked for these big brands, Gucci, Montclair, Barney's New York at Simon. I worked with over a thousand brands as part of my portfolio. Um, and I thought I knew the biggest egos <laughs> that were out there. And uh, <laughs> turns, out, turns out I was wrong. Um, and, you know, it's, there's, and again, I, there, there's nothing wrong with that. I think if it, when you, it, but it can, it can get in your way because again, the most successful agents that I encountered whether it's commercial or residential real estate, were the ones that worked as part of a network. They had, they built a network. They built these incredible relationships with people in other regions, in other states, in other countries. You know, halfway around the world, they had friends in the in the industry that they could rely on and refer business to, and ask for advice and guidance and answer questions for. And so there were these wonderful networks. And the and the most powerful, the most influential agents understood that. That you know they were they were just they were part of a network, yeah. and it wasn't it wasn't just about them, you know. You know, so those, those it, would be the three pieces: do your homework, make informed, selective decisions, and and don't let ego get in your way. Those are those are really great pieces of advice. I think that what I've really seen in 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 just you know my my fifteen plus years in in real estate and. Uh, the the great honor that I've had in 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 this podcast and interviewing a lot of different people, the most successful people are those that are the most humble, mm. and the, those that actually approach this from a level of service. Yeah, right. And I just nice. want to provide a service to someone, and so I think that that's exactly encapsulating what you're saying. But it's also interesting. The other thing that really caught my ear was when you were saying to really just be that expert at something. Yeah. And so I had just interviewed a few months ago, my, uh, my new boss, uh, the founder of EXP, Glenn Sanford, and mm -hmm. he was really, really wise. He says, you know, I will pay top dollar for an expert. I will not pay a cent for a generalist. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think we're seeing that more and more yeah. in, as, as, you know, certainly the luxury industry evolves. And, and it, you know, part of, a part of the, the shift that's happening there, it's been accelerated by um, the, our current pandemic, right? I think, you know, experts, expert, true experts um, can, can sort of take on the challenge. And if we're working from home and, and, and you know, hunker down and get it done and, and, and deliver an end product that is that is remarkable, that is well that is well thought out, that are thoughtfully designed, that is researched, that is informed, um, and I think it's I think it's harder for 
a generalist to to be on their own in that way. Sure. Um, so I, I get, I get, I mean, I think that the, the, the value of those sort of very specific subject matter experts is only increasing because of the certain, the, the situation we're all in right now. You know, that was a great segue to my next question. I was actually going to ask you about what you thought the idea of branding, especially in the luxury segment, will change post-COVID or during COVID. You yeah. know, maybe it's a transitional look at how we look at branding. Yeah. So I think in the luxury space, what we've seen and, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm working on a launch right now, what we've seen is um, the... I mean, obviously, everyone shifted to digital, right? When all of this happened, all the resources, everybody pulled from print, everybody pulled from, you know, physical stores, brick and mortar, uh, all the marketing dollars were thrown into digital. And it was you just reached this broad audience. Everyone's at home. They're staring at screens all day. Um, so I think what we saw, what we've seen in, in a number of brands, the ones that had all that had already dipped their toes into that sort of digital video first approach are doing very well. There are brands out there now that are doing better than they've ever done before. And not just in the luxury space. I mean, you look at a brand like, like Chewy, for example, I was reading some stats on them. It's a, it's a uh, pet uh, uh, online pet yeah, of course. Um, yeah. supply company and you can order, you know, your cat food or your dog food and have it delivered to your house. Their business is up 400% year over year. 400%. So I think that the, and this is again, true across, you know, different categories, but there's this shift, dramatic shift to digital. It was happening already. E-commerce was, you know, not, not the biggest source of revenue for luxury brands. Um, you know, it was probably approaching, well, we might be at 20% now. Um, but that, so that I think is, it has accelerated. I think brands that have, that, that, rely too heavily on sort of the old way of doing business, the idea that you're just, you know, you, you have influence over consumer behavior just because you exist, they're falling by the wayside, right? The ones that, didn't in, that have not invested in building meaningful relationships via digital platforms with their consumers that are not producing copious amounts of content um, because the content is key, you have to create, you have to tell the story, you have to do it in a meaningful way, you have to do it in a way that is relevant to the consumers that are most meaningful to you and you only know who they are by doing your research. Um, that's, that's what's taking over now. I mean, that, that's going, the brands that can do that well will survive and, and possibly do better than they've ever done before. And the ones that don't, um, well, we're seeing that, right? We're seeing brands exactly. that were on, we're seeing the brands that were on the brink are disappearing almost daily now. And it's, I think it's unfortunate, um, truly, because I don't, you know, I don't love to see legacy brands go under, um, but it is going to open up opportunity for new brands and for new ideas born out of a, a digital first approach. And I think that's, that's really exciting if there's a silver lining to this all. A hundred percent, because, you know, I think that every opportunity brings other opportunities throughout, right? And every challenge is somebody else's opportunity. Yeah. And so I, I want to stay on the conversation of, of, of COVID just to get your impressions on this, because you actually, with the Simon Group, ran the largest probably retail shopping center organization in, in, in the country, if not the world. And so when you look at retail now, 
when you look at um, the fact that everyone is social distancing, you mentioned all of these other um, uh, companies that are online companies, things not only like Chewy, but like Overstock. Overstock is up, I think, over a thousand percent. And so it's it's something where those things are changing. People are changing their habits. Their retail habits are changing considerably. How do you see the market on a commercial retail point of view changing now? So on a commercial real estate, uh, I, well, let's just say it's not, it's not a business I would want to be in right now. Yeah, I think in, well, in, and, and look, I think the problem, the, the, the challenge was set up a long time ago. In, in, in the United States, we built too much. There's too much commercial space. There is upwards of 35, 36 square feet per capita of commercial space in the United States. It's the most in the world. The number two countries are Canada and Australia, and they're somewhere south of 20 square feet per capita. So we built too much physical space. You know, when you're, when you're out driving around, you're driving around, say, the suburbs of Atlanta, you'll go down these, these huge four or six lane highways, and you'll pass a Lowe's and a Home Depot, and then another Lowe's and another Home Depot. And they, they just, it repeats and repeats and repeats. So there's, there was too much. There was too much of it. So there was too much going in and now people can't go there and shop the way they used to. So I think what we're going to see happen, and there are some, there are some really creative changes that are, that are out there that I've, been, that I've been watching. We're going to see the shopping center evolve. And the ones, this evolution started before COVID, COVID has accelerated it dramatically. Um, the ones that are going to succeed are becoming community gathering places. And that will, you know, when we come out of COVID and we can comfortably be around other people and social distancing, is, social distancing isn't top of mind, that will be a place where people want to go, right? I think we're starved for contact, we're starved for community, we're starved for that type of engagement. So I think that, you know, the, Simon has this wonderful model, it's, they're called Mills properties, where they're a mix of indoor, outdoor, outlet, full price, you know, there's, it's just this wonderful mix. And um, they become almost like little town centers. And I think that that's a very cool way to solve for, you know, everyone walking inside a big enclosed building and, you know, up and down the middle of a shopping mall and right, you know, right. the same, the same stores repeating over and over and over again. So I think that is, that's going to change. I think we're going to see a lot of the old architecture is just going to be torn down. Um, you know, there are malls that are, that are not going to survive. There are, you know, those big box stores that are, uh, that are not going to survive. And we all know the brands that are struggling. It was, you know, heartbreaking to see a brand like Sears. I've talked about this for a long time that a brand that had such a lock on its relationship with consumers um, through, you know, their proprietary brands like Kenmore and Craftsman to lose all of that is shocking to me. It, it seemed like such a, such a huge blunder to have these brands that were resonated with consumers on a deep level. You know, if you grew up in a home with Kenmore appliances, you bought Kenmore appliances for your home. If, you're, if your parent had Craftsman tools, you bought Craftsman tools when you started buying your own tools. And they just kind of, I don't I seem to forget that that, that that was their greatest asset. Their greatest asset was the relationship with consumers. So I think a lot of those, those stores were just going to see them get torn down and, and what replaces them. I'm curious to see, I think there will be, you know, should we go back to 37, 38, 39, 40 square feet per capita of, of commercial real estate space? No, probably not. Um, will we find a new balance between 
digital and physical space, yes, there's, you know, consumers are always going to want to go and experience things in person at some sure. point in, in certain categories, right? If you're buying a piece of fine jewelry, it's really, really hard to do that online. You're not going to spend $10,000 on a necklace that you haven't tried on. Um, so it's just, it's going, it, we're going to see a rebalancing come out of this. And I think it's, I think that's a positive thing. Um, technology is not going away. It's becoming more and more pervasive. It's more important. It's part of how we do everything now um, that we're not all going to put down our iPads and walk back into the shopping mall the, the way that we used to. We'll have a new approach. And I think that's kind of exciting. 100% agree with that. There's going to be a full evolution. It has to be. It happens organically because yes. it's the consumers lead the conversation anyway. We don't. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. it is going to be just that. It's interesting. So, Kevin, I wanted to ask you, what do you think is the greatest lesson you've ever learned in your career? Oh, um, <laughs> the greatest lesson I've ever learned. So I think um, the greatest lesson I've ever learned has really been on a, on, maybe on a, it feels more personal than it used to. So, okay, I'll, I'll take a few steps back. So I used to think where I was working was the most important thing. If I was going, if I wanted my career to, you know, to move forward, I had, I had a sense of the path in front of me. And as I said at the, the beginning of our interview, it, it was never a straight line, but I was moving, you know, th I, there was an evolution there. I was working in these luxury brands. There were, you know, there were bigger brands. There were more influential organizations for me to be a part of. And, um, and that was always in my line of sight. And I think what, the last year has taught me is that the people that I work with matter more than I ever truly realized. Um, you know, I think, and, and the purpose behind what I'm doing has become really sort of moved to the fore. I, you know, I, I've always loved my job. I work, you know, at all the places that I've worked, I found something that I could be passionate and excited about. Um, but what I've, the biggest lesson I've learned is that not everyone around me is going to be as passionate or excited about it as I am. And so then it becomes about finding a place where I could perhaps check both of those boxes and I could work with wonderful people that have a sense of purpose, that care about what they're doing and, and that, care, that not just care about what they're doing, but who they're doing it with. And I, I think- that. That, that's the big lesson. That's the thing that over the last year, you know, everything that's gone on um, has really taught me how, how incredibly valuable the people are not, not just on your team, but the people that you're producing results for. Because you can, you can work, you know, you can work as hard as you can possibly imagine and deliver incredible things. But if you don't, if, if the people you're delivering those results to don't have that, the same sense of vision and meaning and, and um, it, it can very quickly seem like it, it, it is all for naught. So. And I think that that's a really poignant statement. I think that those are things that made probably many of us learned during this past, you know, year. Yeah. And yeah. As we go through things and see, you know, unfortunately, so many people that succumb to this awful virus and what really matters is yeah. the people that you surround yourself with. And I think mm -hmm. that that is a, an, an incredible lesson that so many of us probably in different forms have learned this year as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's always opportunity to, I think, find success and, and you know, amazing success and meaning. Those things do exist together. They really there. do. And they do. And, you know, the wonderful thing, of, you know, the, obviously the Princess Grace Foundation is I'm, I'm in... I'm in awe every day I learn something new about her and her legacy and the influence that she had and what she was able to do as, you know, this Philadelphia born native who went to LA against her family's wishes and became an Oscar winning actress in her twenties. And then, you know, married a prince and moved to Monaco and changed the world in Monaco. And, and, you know, I, it's, it's, I'm in awe of it. And I just think what an, what an honor to, be asked to to carry on that legacy and to reimagine that for modern consumers. I, I really feel um, I, I've always felt I've always felt lucky, but I think this 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 has a special level of of um, uh, I don't know. There's some there's something extra there, and I think you can find that in lots of places. You can find that as an independent contractor building your own business and supporting your family and driving you know driving success that is meaningful. You know, in that you you find uh, you're, you're able to spend more time with your family as a result of your success or to, to take them places and explore the world as a result of your success. And you can do it on many, many levels. Um, but it, at the end of the day, it, it comes back to the people that you're doing it with. I, you know, I think that that is the most amazing lesson and you're absolutely right. So I want to ask you about your new project. Tell me about the Princess Grace Foundation. I love that. You can't say a couple of things, but I just want to know what the transition was into it, how you're, what you're doing and how it's going. Yeah. So I, so I, the transition actually, this is a wonderful this is a wonderful coincidence. The, but so I was introduced to the organization initially um, through a real estate agent, actually through through a, a real estate agent who who knew my work and who had um, uh, who had seen what what we had, we were part of at Sotheby's International Realty, and so they um, connected me to a friend of theirs who happened to be the CEO of the Princess Grace Foundation, and um, the organization was at a critical turning point where. Um, you know, Prince Albert, who is Princess Grace's son in Monaco, um, working with his senior leadership team, they were thinking very critically about how to carry forward her legacy to make sure that her influence and her, um, um, what she believed in, she was an incredible advocate for empowerment, women's rights, children, representation. Um, you know, she talked about things decades ago that we're still debating now. I mean, think about the experience we all just shared going through in in the United States. We all just shared going through the latest election. You know, the issues that were at the forefront of all of those conversations, empowerment, representation, equality, uh, you know, these were things she championed decades ago. And it, it, the more I learn about it, the more I think, you know, her, her, what she cared about was really timeless. And, it's important to me and as part of this organization and certainly important to the prince who is her son um, and, and our CEO to make sure that those conversations continue. And if we can use her influence to move the needle in those spaces, then that is absolutely something that we should do. Um, so that's what I'm a part that on the, uh, you know, that was the introduction and that's what the organization is about. Um, I, yeah, the, the rest I can't share with you. All I can, no, that's all I can fine. say is, Stay tuned. We have some just incredible things coming for spring uh, of next year. And um, so I think, the, you know, the, the world will, will get a sense of, of 
the the new the the new or the the newly reimagined legacy of Princess Grace in in the spring starting in the spring of next year. And knowing you, I can hardly wait as to what that <laughs> reveal will be. Yeah, but listen, I also know that yeah, I also know that philanthropy is important to you personally. Mm. What projects are you involved with at the moment? Because I know you were involved with a lot of things when I first met you. Yeah. So, so it is important to me. I think, you know, I, when I was working in education, I really felt like my, my job, my responsibility was to provide opportunity to my students. I, you might, I really saw my role as, you know, I, I was, I was there to provide them the tools to be as successful as they want to be, as they choose to be. And I carried that through. I even thought of that when I was at Sudley's International Realty. I thought, well, my role as chief marketing officer here is to make sure that our agents around the world have the tools they need to be as successful as they want to be. They can, like I said earlier, they can use them all. They can use none of them. They can use a few of them. At the end of the day, the choice is up to them. Um, But I'm going to provide the very best assets I possibly can, and I'm going to offer them up for them to use. So when I was working in education, I always felt like that, that giving back was part of my everyday. And when I moved into retail and specifically luxury retail, you know, there were days, there were days where I thought maybe my job's a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> maybe <laughs> I, you know, I, I spend my time trying to convince very wealthy people to buy expensive handbags and shoes and ready to wear. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I wanted, I wanted, I, I wanted to feel like it, was having more of an impact perhaps than it was. And so um, this was 2000 and I want to say 2006, 2007, I wrote a letter to Daniela Vitale, who was the CEO of Gucci America at the time, uh, sort of my boss's boss's boss then. And um, I said, I, I'm, I, I'm going to Kenya and I want to, I'm, I'm going to this orphanage in Kenya that I heard about and I'm, I'm going to help these kids. And I want, um, I want Gucci to pay for, uh, for us to go and build a, a kitchen for them because they don't have a way to prepare food and um, you know, a safe way to prepare food for these 60 kids that were at this orphanage. And she said, okay. She said, we'll do it. You know, you, she said, you get your friends together and buy your plane tickets and Gucci will pay for the construction of this kitchen. So we did it. And out of that was born the friends that I went with. We were so we were so going and doing something like that changes your perspective on the world. You know, when I came back, I had, there was a period of time where I really felt like my job was ridiculous because I thought there are people who have so little out there in the world. And then I realized, well, what I need to do then is make sure that, that the work that I'm doing and this job that I'm doing, you know, helps them somehow. So, um, so we started a, a, a charitable fund, this small group of friends and I, there were four of, four or five of us in the beginning, we started this charitable fund and uh, it's been going for over a decade now. We started working with this orphanage and and just helping, you know, feed kids that were um, rescued off the streets of Nairobi. Um, But it evolved into a program that was really focused on education. And now we have helped, um, we've we've put 14 of the students who who grew up in this uh, orphanage uh, through college and university programs and help them uh, wow. get jobs and, fi- and and build safe housing. Actually, one of them just sent me some pictures today about he's building his first house. He, he so it's <laughs> and he wanted oh to tell God. me this because he knew I was in real estate and, and he said, you know, I found a lot. I didn't. I got a loan. I got a you know a mortgage such as it is there. And he started building his first house. So um, yeah, I think there's you know if you can find ways to do that, it's a wonderful 
uh, it's, it definitely makes you feel good, but I think more than anything, um, I think the ability to give back is just, is, is more important than ever. Oh, Kevin, I just got chills over that story. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. So it brings me to my final question for you. What okay. would you like your legacy to be? Oh boy. Um, yeah. well, you know, it's interesting you ask because I, you know, so I've been thinking about that as, as part of this role that I'm in, because I'm, I'm, what I've been asked to do is manage someone's, someone else's legacy and be responsible for that. And that is, uh, I certainly feel the weight of that and the responsibility of that. Um, you know, Princess Grace said some, she said something really wonderful um, many years ago when she was asked how she would like to be remembered. She said that she wanted to be remembered as a good person, uh, a mm. good person, a kind human being, someone who did who did things that matter and that had an impact. And I'm paraphrasing, I've, I've certainly butchered the quote, um, uh, but that, that, is, that is the essence of what she said. She wanted to be remembered as a good person, who, a kind human being who, who did things that matter and who, who behaved. She, she said, um, I think the, the term or phrase is that who behaved appropriately. So I don't know if I've always done that, um, but I think I, I definitely, align with that. I want my legacy to be one of um, somebody who, who really cared deeply about the work that they were doing and wanted very much to help others succeed and to share in the success that I have had. I love that. And let me tell you something, you are an incredibly passionate human being and you care so much about everything that you do. And that's one of the things that I so respect about you, especially when we work together. And just sort of seeing how you see the world and your vision and your lens is really unique, Kevin. And I really just appreciate you as a human being, as a friend. And it's it's just been so wonderful. I've learned more about you on this conversation that I didn't know. And it's always those great, uh, it's those great gifts with this that you have your friends on and you learn more about them. So thank you. No, thank you very much. It's wonderful to, to just get the opportunity to, to talk about it, to talk to you. Um, uh, you know, as you mentioned at the beginning, certainly we had, we had an opportunity to have some great laughs and some wonderful times at Sotheby's. And ultimately those are the memories you take away from any, from any place that you work. Right. And the, the, connections, with, the connections that you make with people. And so um, it's wonderful to get to reconnect and, and mull this all over, um, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're afforded the time to do that. Indeed. So, and thank, thank you again. And thank you for being on the show and for sharing and for being so candid and caring and, and sharing your views. I really do appreciate it. And thank you all of you for listening. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Hello.